Greetings, everyone. My name is Julie Masters, and welcome to another episode of Inside Influence, in which I delve into the minds of some of the world's most fascinating influencers or experts in influence to get to the bottom of what it really takes to own your voice and then amplify it to drive an industry, a conversation, a movement, or a nation. So it's it's that time of year again, right? How how did how did it get to be Christmas again? Merry Christmas, everyone. I'm I'm not gonna get into what a year 2020 has been. We were all there, and if we're still here now, then that's reason enough to celebrate. However, as usual this year, and as well deserved as any other year, the Inside Influence team are taking a little bit of a break over Christmas and New Year. Some time to rest, reset, recalibrate, re-inspire ourselves and generally re-engineer the podcast for all the new ideas that we have for the 12 months ahead. So as usual again this year, what we've done is we've sat down and we've tried to figure out how we can bring you some incredible content over the next few weeks. And what we've done is we've gone back through the past three years of the Inside Influence podcast. And we're we getting up to 100 episodes now. We've gone all the way back through the catalogs and pulled out some of our favorite guests. And then we've taken those interviews and we've thought very carefully about if we were going to create the most powerful cut of this 15 minutes power cut, what would it look like? And that is what we have done. So what we bring you over the next five weeks is once a week, a 15 minute jam packed tool full is tool full word. It is now full of tools episode of each of these incredible minds. So today we have our first James Kerr. Now James Kerr has to be one of the most popular episodes of Inside Influence that we have ever done. I received more feedback about this particular conversation than any other from CEOs, from students, via email, DM. For some reason, this one really resonated. Now, James is a fascinating guy. He is, he's the only person that has ever been allowed to go behind the curtain with the All Blacks, to study what it is that makes them such an unrivaled force in the sporting world. And, you know, some of the stats on the All Blacks themselves, how many times they have won and how they have kept themselves to the level that they continue to be at is absolutely amazing whether you're a sports fan or not. Now, James has spent most of his professional career studying cultures, patterns and habits of top performers, including the Navy SEALs, Manchester City FC, Dad, that one's for you, and obviously now the All Blacks. He also wrote the book, Legacy what the All Blacks can teach us about the business of life, wholeheartedly recommend. In this conversation, on this particular section of our conversation, you'll hear him jumping straight into how to lead at speed without burning out. Make that last part of the sentence the most important part of the sentence. Including why the All Blacks focus on intensity rather than hustle and the keys to building a culture of leadership where every single individual, regardless of their role or place in a hierarchy takes absolute responsibility for leaving that company and that culture in a better place than when they started. So sit back, make yourself comfy, pour yourself whatever your Christmas drink is and settle in to listen to the incredible insights of James Kerr. 
I'm going to use a military example if, if, if I can. The, if you look at what are called the principles of war, um, uh, you know, Google it later, but they're fantastically powerful principles about how to create great competitive effort. And one of the core principles, one of the most important, uh, is what's just called economy of effort. It's doing the most with the least. And I think what often happens within a business situation is that, um, you, you know, you've got 24 hours in the day. If you work 24 hours, you'll be more successful. Well, clearly that isn't a sustainable model. Um, you, how can we find ways to make our effort more focused and more efficient and leverage uh, the what the military, again, would call the human factor to enable uh, things to happen? Na Na Napoleon said something great. He said... Um, the moral to the physical is as three to one. That is the the human to the to the to the kind of the the assets are as three to one. the the main The main advantage for a general is to bring out the best in their people to multiply that human effort. And often the 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 mindset or the 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 the, the nature of many entrepreneurs tends to be, you know, wanting to control the outcome from the outset, you know, wanting to own it. And therefore that involves many, many hours, a lot of thinking, you know, and, and a lot of intensity, but therefore a lot of stress. And that's not necessarily sustainable. And when you're stressing yourself, you get to the World Cup playoff of whatever your field is, and you're not in an optimum performance state. So the question becomes, how do you empower a team around you? How do you create a team to create that kind of force multiplication effect? Uh, I think one of the things that the all Blacks are a fantastic case study of is um, is a distributed leadership model. You know, they talk about having a CEO in every position, um, that leadership at every position, and that becomes about the the ability to give away power, to distribute power, to distribute leadership, to empower people literally, and to trust. And that takes the onus or the focus or the intensity away from one human being. And it force multiplies because it creates a team of people doing the same thing. So I think the systemic issues, why you get a lot of burnout, uh, that inability to let go. The same military commander in Afghanistan I spoke to said that the courage of leadership is the courage to let go. And I think it's a tremendously powerful idea in how do you create a team of leaders so that that one leader uh, doesn't take all the intensity and, and all the stress and is left free to think and to act on a strategic level that they're able to do. And I think that that kind of intensity, which is a multiplication of resources rather than an individualization of intensity, becomes tremendously powerful. What examples did you see of, of that in, in the All Blacks, when you're, when you're there, when you're observing the All Blacks? Traditionally, uh, sports teams, the coach will give a, a, um, a stirring team talk just before the team run out. You know, that's been kind of a tradition within the All Blacks and most sports teams before every game forever. It's what coaches live for. Um, in the Graham Henry reign, Tana Umanga, uh, the then captain, came up to, to Ted, as he's known, and said, you know, why are you doing these team talks? Is it for you or is it for us? Because, you know, we don't get a lot out of it. And... Ted, to his, his, his credit, said, OK, it's up to you. By Friday, by Saturday, it should be the team's team. So that sense of kind of giving it away, taking some of the traditional, maybe more ego-based ideas of a leadership role and devolving that uh, onto individuals is tremendously, it was for them tremendously powerful. It created a team of leaders. Um, 
another example, it was just, or another method, I guess, was really the creation of leadership groups uh, within the team, sort of four, five, six players, not necessarily the most senior players, but players charged with making quite significant decisions about uh, the nature of the team, travel schedules, um, uh, and so on and so forth, as, or disciplinary uh, procedures, and all of that kind of thing, some of the big decisions around the team. So they were literally empowered to lead, to make decisions. Now, you know, how do you expect a team to make decisions on the field if they're not able to make decisions off the fields? And I think that can be applied to... Um, to business very, very easily. If you micromanage people, if you don't trust them to deliver the PowerPoint that you would do, if, if, if they have to report back to you for every significant decision, how, do you how, how, how are you able to create a culture of innovation and initiative um, and uh, where ideas come from the front line? You don't, you really stifle that. And what we've seen in business is a shift from really an efficiency model to an adaptability model. You know, an efficiency model, how do you build your clients more you know, every 15 minutes, kind of like a law firm, or how do you make more widgets more quickly? And that's needed a lot of centralized command, if you like. But but we're moving into an adaptability model where may the best idea win. You know, Google doesn't really write business plans because the technology leapfrogs it so much. So they need to create a culture where where a team of teams, if you like, they all know their intention, the purpose, you know, to deliver more information to more people more quickly. Uh, but they're empowered within their teams to apply their expertise and their leadership to their own field, whether that's virtual reality or augmented reality or algorithms or whatever. And so that sense of what Netflix calls freedom and responsibility becomes, I think, the ideal model for a, lead, for a leadership culture. You know, if people feel that they've got their footprints on any decision or any process, um, then they will own it and they will defend it. And in some cases, they will die for it. You know, if you impose a way of being on people, uh, you know, and, you know, the old school situation is, is, is exactly that. These are the rules you will follow. And, of course, everyone goes and smokes in the bike sheds and can't wait to leave school. But if you create a culture of inclusion where, where you create a conversation among people over time, what do you think? You know, um, how should we do this? And and it's what I call a guided appreciative inquiry. You know, you're asking the questions, you appreciate the answer, but you're guiding it. You know, you know strategically what you're trying to achieve and where, you, where you're trying to get people. Thanks so much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this episode and found tons and tons of useful ideas and insights for growing your own influence. Now, for those of you who want to take the next step in your influence journey, you want to take everything you have learned today and just ramp it up a notch, or you just want to learn more about the power of thought leadership when it comes to growing a business, an enterprise, or spreading an idea, there is now also a research paper that you can download from my website, juliemasters.com. Pop in your email address. It is free. We will not spam you, but it is jam-packed full of all the ideas tools and case studies that I have come across in 10 years of doing this work. It's called the Influencer Code. It's not long, but it is full of value. So download it, keep it, share it, juice it for all it is worth. I hope that it makes a massive difference in your career or business. Thank you always to our producer, co-founder and the main brain, I'm not joking, behind the Inside Influence podcast, Lauren Kelly. 
In the words of Jerry Maguire, you complete me. And if you did enjoy the show, then we would love you to share this podcast and leave us a review on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, whatever your platform of choice happens to be. And don't forget to subscribe to make sure that you never miss an interview.